Amen. That's the message the Lord gives of himself. Christ Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Thanks, Kevin. Great friend of our ministry. It's great to have you here with us again today. And uh, stop by and say hi to him on the way out. He has uh, some good music out there to, to uh, add to your CD collection. So you'll want to uh, catch up with him on the way out. I, I normally sing the uh, descant part on that power, power of his love is changing me. I'm usually standing there by myself. But with Kevin there, I kind of wanted to back off today a little bit. I didn't, I didn't really want to show him up, so I, I, sort of, uh, I sort of just stayed with the plain tune there. I says, anyway, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are rejoicing to be here in your presence today. Um, we are filled with joy because we are amazed that you love us. And so we are, we are full of joy and, uh, and full of your presence we know, Lord, that you love us. And because of that, it gives us great confidence to live. And, and Father, we can face our fears and face our doubts and face the challenges that are set before us because you love us and because our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, rose from the grave as a living Savior. And so, Father, we are filled with hope. And uh, so today, Lord, I pray that as we spend time now in your word that you would um, challenge us with it uh, we know father that this is one of these sections of scripture where you are kind of firing a shot across the bow of our hearts and telling us that um, we ought not to be like that we ought to be people who um, love one another and care for one another and want your agenda, desire your word and your will, your ways. So I pray, Father, that you would alert our hearts to any wavering from that that might be among us individually or certainly as a, as a community. Because, Lord, we want to be known in this community as, as a place of truth, as people of truth, as people who know their God and their God works among them. So this I pray, Father, as we um, launch into the scriptures today, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, most of us have already learned that every inch of kingdom ground is hard fought for. I would say that most, if not all of us, have the scars in our hearts to prove we're, in, we're regularly in scraps to, to face the opposition that comes with being in the kingdom of God. And the ferocity with which the opposition comes at us is regularly all out of proportion, or at least from our, our vantage point, it seems all out of proportion. But then we are reminded that we are talking about eternal, and, and uh, magnitude is eternal and, and, uh, and uh, cosmic. We also, it also alerts us to the fact that there truly is an evil one and evil forces that are arrayed against everything good and everything about God. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been um, launching into Nehemiah uh, chapter 6. And, and just before Easter, we, we came upon a passage uh, in the early part of Nehemiah chapter 6 that described the opposition that we can anticipate from outsiders uh, 
enemies of the things of God. What I think shocked most of us is, is as we were looking at that, we realized that, that these descriptions uh, were not just enemies of the cross, but, but in some ways described the way we treat one another within the church. I think that was unnerving for a lot of us when we realized that, that uh, there are tempting distractions that, that seek to pull us away from the good things of God. We know that... Uh, in the culture that we live, tolerance is a, of high value, although it's a one-sided tolerance, it would seem. And we learned that tolerating is code for compromise, and the casualty to compromise is always truth, God's truth. We learned about that. We recognize that uh, at risk to make it work for everybody is God's word. And so we, re we recognize that from the scriptures, um, trading truth for acceptance is a very bad direction. We also learned about dirty politics, marketing baseless reports and rumors by the use of open letters is a wicked practice, the tactics of the wicked, and should not be found among us. We should not ever be gorging ourselves on gossip. We should not be the people who uh, wield the weapon or wielding our words as if they are weapons, practicing the bearing of false testimony. These things we learned. But today I want to look at uh, the second half of this chapter six, look at a couple of more things, and this is uh, based on when when uh, insiders start to oppose, when internal opposition comes out of hiding. It's harder to spot, and it's certainly harder to take. And the first that we're going to encounter in verses 10 to 14 is, is the testing of your spiritual integrity. And this is critical in our lives because the, the subtle attack of, of things that aren't true with the glossy, churchy sound and spiritual sounds put on them are sometimes hard to detect. It's the subtle lure of spiritual sounding strategies to transfer your trust from God to yourself, to cause you to become unnerved. The enemy of God will use those who appear to be his people to discredit those who are his people using God sounding ideas. Not every sacred invitation comes from God. And I use sacred in italics, quotations. Not every churchy word is sourced in the divine. So be necessarily selective in the counsel you're willing to receive. Learn to listen for the ring of, of theological truth in what you're being told. So with that said as an introduction to this particular section, I just want to look at this, these four verses and then we'll look at the rest a, a little bit later on. But verses 10 to 14. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabel, who was shut in at his home. 
He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not, not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad report to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. Well, this is the word of God. Let's stop here for a second and look at this, the testing of your spiritual integrity. God's sounding ideas is what's being described here, and I'll look at that in a few moments, that are really setups either to discredit you as a Christian or a Christian leader or to dampen your trust in God alone. Now, by way of introduction to this section, uh, I'm sure it came as a bit of a rude awakening to Nehemiah, as it does to all leaders, when he found out that there were some people in Jerusalem who just didn't like him, didn't agree with what he was doing. Now, you all need to know something if you haven't really learned this about leadership, and most of you have served in some sort of capacity of leadership within the church. You can be a leader or you can be liked, but very rarely can you be both. Sometimes you can. If you want to be liked, just come to church and give everybody 100 bucks every Sunday, and that'll probably work, and you can start with me. I'll like you, but I won't necessarily entrust leadership to you. Uh, leadership uh, regularly requires the putting of certain people's noses out of joint. That's just what it does. And, and so, by way of introduction, we have to recognize that there were some insiders, there were some people within the people of God in Jerusalem, they're so-called, who didn't like Nehemiah, didn't like his leadership. Reform and renovation, when, when a leader is is leading reform and renovation of the soul and pressing hard and, and, and holding up a mirror. You're looking at your soul and realizing that you're falling short and, and it's pushing the issues that sometimes it just doesn't feel good and it, it, it just bothers you. And, and regularly, it's not just the message, but the messenger. And so it was. And so we find that we're in this moment where Nehemiah is asked to make a house call to an out-of-sort saint. And so he has to decide, is he going to go or not go? Is this really about God or is this everything wicked about the flesh? And um, we learn a little bit, it, it, there's no accident why the... Um, the family names are included here in the text. Uh, if you look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 62, you find out that this father of the shut-in who's asking his, his name, Zedaliah, is listed in the descendants uh, right along with Tobiah, the other one we're talking about. 
But right before that, in verse 61, it says that they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. So there was some question about their pedigree. There's some question about whether they're really insiders or not. They were within the community, but are they really one of us or not? And, and so this guy is going to take on Nehemiah, allegedly, to give him some good advice and counsel. And uh, I think it's fascinating here that he's called a shut-in. And the first piece of advice he gives is, let's go to the temple together. And I'm thinking to myself, I thought he was a shut-in. To me, shut-in means, well, shut-in. It, it means that you're shut in your house. It, it always shocks me as well. You know, you, you have like the shut-in of the week in churches. You know, you've seen that. We advertise it in our bulletin. Pray for the shut-in of the week. I can't tell you the number of times I've met the shut-in of the week at the shopping mall. Like, I thought you were the shut-in. To me, shut-in means shut-in. doesn't mean you can go shopping or go to the hockey game. It's you're like you're shut-in. So I think we need to reword some of these things. The Sunday shut-in of the week. Because you see, I'm just, sort of, I'm just sort of mentioning to you, if you ever want to get on that, that list of being celebrated as the shut-in of the week, I'm looking for you to be a real shut-in. Like, you've got to be shut in your house. But this guy is a shut-in, and, and shut-in says, let's go to the temple. And, and uh, he's using really churchy, spiritual-sounding stuff. Let's go to the house of God. You know, I've got, I've got something I want to share with you. Let's go to the house of God. And, and let's, um, let, let's put ourselves in, into the temple, and, and, and then let's, let's, uh, let's shut the door. Let's close the door. So he's supposed to go with a shut into the temple, an out of sorts saint, by himself. I don't think so. Um, I learned a long time ago that uh, out of sorts saints visiting by yourself is a is a no. I have been there, done that. I have the torn T-shirt to prove it. When I was younger, you know, I thought that I could fix and save everything. Were you there one time? Brett, you're still there. You think you can fix and save everything. I learned along the way that sometimes you just have to cut bait. So Nehemiah is deciding, is he going to do this? Is he going to go after this? Is this a faith call or a fear call? Is this about God or about me? Is this about sacrifice or about selfishness? There's always a certain stench that goes along with something that is going somewhere unproductive. But often it's hard to put your finger on it. So how did Nehemiah figure this out? Now, here's what's at stake. I want all of us to understand. Here's what we can't lose sight of. Nehemiah didn't. The prize at issue, what's always up for grabs in these kinds of things, is God's work and God's way of doing things. And, and so leaders must, clear, leaders must know how to clear away the, the subjective fog so, so that people who seem to be um, looking for the same thing but aren't stop going around in circles. How? 
when truth and trust are at risk. Cutting through all of the emotion and all of the hype and all of the opinions and all of the preferences and all of the agendas and all of the misguided thinking that just isn't true. How are we to navigate our way through the churchy sounding things, the, the spiritually smattered things, uh, doctored things, to know is this really of God or not? Insiders need to agree to the objectivity of God's word. Now, I want you to understand what Nehemiah did here. What you can't see in the text likely because of your English translation is that this counsel that was presented to him by this alleged prophet was, was framed in the cadence of prophecy. It was made to sound very high level. You can see it a little bit in the English translation. In, in, in verse 10, it says... Um, because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. And it's, it's put in this prophetic cadence so that it was dis distributed to Nehemiah as if it's God's word. How do we cut through the crackpots from those who are really delivering the goods? Not everyone who calls their stuff from God is all that. Not everyone who knows the insider lingo is speaking for God. Churchy words are not necessarily sourced in God. I don't know, some of you probably know, maybe you don't, maybe this will shock you, but on Sunday mornings I often like to get up and, and listen to T.D. Jakes first. Now I don't need emails about his theology and all that kind of stuff. I just like the fire in the guy's belly. You know what? He, he just gets me fired up in terms of how he preaches and, and his passion and all of that. And, and, and so um, he's, I get up this morning, I turn on the TV as regularly to, to kind of get my fix of, of this fiery preacher. And it's not, he's not on. And they got this other guy on. Literally, I'm not kidding you. He's selling, he's hawking no more evil oil. I'm serious, no more evil oil. And he's, he's, he's this, you know, so-called preacher, man of God, speaking for God and all of that. And he's like, uh, and, and not only that, he's, he's got this vial of stuff, which is, which is virtually like snake oil salesman. And he's, he's saying, now, um, get this, the two, first 288 of you who, who call me are going to get a rapid miracle. And, um, and he says, uh, I got this number right from God. He says, I got it from Psalms 28.8. 288. The verse 280, I'm like, what, what connection does Psalm 28.8 have with snake oil selling? I'm sure the phone lines lit up. There's no end of spiritual fog out there purporting to be from God. How do you know? There are two things that Nehemiah knew with respect to this idea and request. 
The one is this, and if you look at Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, it will clarify for you why he refused to go into the temple. In, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, there is the description here of duties of priests and Levites. Remember I said to you, we must all agree to the objectivity of God's word, a standard that settles all spiritual disputes. It says in verse 7 this, but only you, speaking of Aaron, but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary must be put to death. Now, uh, Nehemiah knew that he neither had the person nor the office for having temple leadership privileges. It is likely that Nehemiah was a eunuch as well, and that further disqualified him from anything to do with that kind of position or responsibility. We can track through Scripture. We know that when King Saul offered sacrifice in, in place of Samuel, he was disqualified from king. We know that when King Uzziah offered to the responsibility in the temple, that he was brought into disgrace and, and, and received leprosy. And so Nehemiah knew that this would be a sin for him to embark upon this. You know, as you look at this in verse 11, he says, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me try to save his life? Listen, uh, Nehemiah is not trying to be braggadocious here or anything of that nature. He's not saying, oh, who am I? I'm, I'm special. I don't need to run away. He's not doing that at all. He's saying, listen, should, should I take and, and disqualify myself by not taking the word of God seriously? Should I sin against my God after I have done so much work to, to stand before God's people and, and, and urge them passionately to seek God and to seek his word? Not only that, he also knew that, that uh, while there were occasions when people used the temple for asylum to run in because they were fearful of something, that it was regularly uh, when they were actually not sure they were any longer serving God's will, and they were running into the temple to hide. Furthermore, it was always a pagan practice to use their temples to be places where they would run and hide and barricade themselves in buildings. It was never the practice of God's people. So in one misstep, Nehemiah could have sinned against God by breaking the word of God, he could have demonstrated that, that he was running away from what he knew was true and right. He wasn't involved in any mischief. And, and thirdly, he would be, he would be uh, taking asylum, uh, pra practicing or following a pagan practice, and demonstrating that he really wasn't able to trust God. What he would be saying is, this building can take care of me, but God can't. And so he um, determined, as all good leaders should, that he should keep moving forward even though he was afraid because God is beckoning him to trust him and to move forward. Now, J.I. Packer has it right when he says this about courage. Courage is not never being afraid. It is doing what is right even when you feel afraid 
or think it might hurt. Nehemiah exercised what we call in our terminology, I think, biblical spiritual discernment. If there's one thing that you should be asking the Lord for, it is to give you a strong capacity to have spiritual discernment. And by the way, I, I want to put biblical spiritual discernment. That, that as described, I think, it, it's, it's the ability to know, is this voice really from God? Is this really from the Holy Spirit? Or is this from some other spirit or simply the flesh? It's incumbent upon us and urgent upon us in these days of, of the murky, of the of the subtle, of the, the um, infestation of, of, of spiritual ideas. We live in a spiritual time. It's absolutely necessary for us to be able to discern the, the counterfeit from the real. And uh, I, I like um, Packer's description or, or definition of spiritual discernment. It's not the gift of seeing the bizarre. It is the ability granted by Christ to perceive the qualities, tendencies, and likely sources of proposals and policies that relate to God and his, and his kingdom. Is this quality of God? Is this a tendency of God? Is, is this sourced in God and the whole, or the whole Holy Spirit? Or is it, is it some other spirit or is this simply flesh? I think that it is that rare ability to correctly interpret the integration of practical and theological. Now, theology is practical, but we need to know as God's people when practical things have jettisoned the theology and are still trying to masquerade in an authoritative way. And that is regularly happening out there. Things start out with a... Um, a surface, spiritual, biblical, churchy kind of sound. And then the practicals attach to it. And regularly, as time goes on, or even early at the beginning, the, the theology is jettisoned, and, and the practical is, 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 up for, is, is, the, is being promoted and pushed. And long ago, it lacks truth. And should no longer be authoritative in our, in our lives. Gifts are not to create religious sideshows, but for the building up of the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're not to create controversy, but to glorify Christ. So while hiding in the temple was one idea, it was not God's idea in spite of the fact that it had lots of religious bells and whistles attached to it. So how would I summarize this in terms of how do you combat the spiritual confusion that is out there? It's a huge strategic plan of the enemy. First of all, stay attuned to God and His Word. It's crucial. I'm convinced that the reason Nehemiah succeeded and survived the relentless attacks 
and opposition and, and the increasing levels of subtlety that were foisted upon him is because long before they arrived, he passionately knew God and he knew God's word. And when someone suggested a churchy sounding idea, let's go to the house of God and let's shut ourselves in there. That's just you and me. It's, it, let's get into the place of God. He knew. He knew the word of God. He was able to say, I know my God and I know my God's ways and these are not them. So staying attuned, but the second is ask, asking the glory question of everything. Will this choice or decision or move glorify God or discredit him? That's the question. These two questions, these two issues, stay attuned to who God is. But you've got to know God. That's why we, we push hard that, that, that you've got to be a student of who God is. Know your God. Relate to your God. Stay in relationship to your God every day. Because the attack, the subtle attacks are relentless upon your life. You need to know the truth from the counterfeit. And is this glorifying God? Would it be glorifying to God to see the leader that he had called go sniveling into some temple and barricade himself in for fear, quaking in fear that his life is on the line? Is that going to glorify God? Hardly. So Nehemiah was able to cut through all the subjective fog and waiting on the other side of the clearing is more stuff. Look at uh, verse 15. So, the wall was completed on the 25th of El Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations, look at this, were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshalem, son of Berechiah. I'm glad I didn't do that wedding. Moreover, they kept reporting to me this good, his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Well, I, I'm guessing that many of you have been around church long enough to know about church politics, power politics in church. It's the gift of intimidation by the power of pedigree. Um, you'll see here, just as a, a summary, that, that the wall was completed in 52 days. That's the big story of this text. And, and what's really shocking to all of us, or at least should be when we read this text, is that the only people who were really impressed and excited and enthused and, and, and blown away by it and in awe were people outside of God's people. It says all the nations around and everybody else, they, they lost, lost their self-confidence because they truly credited this to the living God. What's wrong with us? It kind of hit me last Sunday. He is risen. 
He is risen indeed. It's like, are only outsiders excited about a resurrected Jesus Christ? A living God? That, to me, bothers me most about this text as I read it. While the outsiders are amazed at what God has done, the insiders are vying for position. Instead of capitalizing on the shock and awe of outsiders who are already conceding to the greatness of God, Pastor Calvin, instead of really forming a great outreach campaign, the insiders can hardly wait for the next juicy morsel to market in the cold war of self-interest. Fifty-two days. What hadn't been able to be done for a hundred years. Now you have these people here, says the nobles in Judah, we're sending letters back and forth to Tobiah. Tobiah kept coming to them, sending replies to them. And then it explains to us that they were under oath to him. They had some business agreements, some connections, and there was lots of marriage issues, intermarried. That's kind of normal for a church setting. The family connections. So, um, when you're fighting for position, rather than in awe of God or praising Him for His great things, you know something's wrong with your heart. And what happens here likely, if you remember Nehemiah was preaching hard about the richer people taking advantage of the poorer people. And you recall that in a public event, he kind of put the screws to them and pressured them into publicly committing to change their ways. Now the problem with that is that publicly committing to do something your heart really hasn't committed to do leads to private bitterness. So publicly they had claimed to be all in. But privately, they're allowing their resentment to shape their approach to how they're functioning within the community. Plotting on how they could get back the community control that they had lost. Trafficking in schoolyard gossip games of he said, she said. Do you see it? Sending letters back and forth. Coming to Nehemiah and saying, Tobiah's really a good guy. And then Tobiah says something or, or, or Nehemiah says something and they, and they run back to Tobiah and tell him what Nehemiah said. And of course, there's all kinds of reshaping of what was said and what he said, what she said and all of that. All kinds of mischief. Troublemaking. What to do about it? 
the busybodies who go between keeping the powerful fully informed. Can I just give you some advice that I've learned and I think really is screaming at us from this text? Advice on living above power plays. Let, let, let me point out that when power is being misappropriated, there's always plenty of insecurity around. Those who should have power are not insecure. Nehemiah is pointing out here, while all of this mischief is going on around him, that all this had been done with the help of our God. That's how he lived. He recognized that it was about God, not about him. Now, here's the advice. Beware of the spiritually nominal. Those who are connected and therefore powerful. Unequal alliances, the Bible teaches us, will impede the progress of God's good work. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and following. What was going on here? Let me suggest a couple of things. Keep yourself free from connections that come with control. There's no accident that it says in verse 18, the reason that all of this was happening is because many in Judah were under oath to Tobiah. He had, he had things over people. Secondly, be discerning about who you think is good. What I think is almost comical here is how many times they had to keep running to Nehemiah and say, Tobiah's really a good guy. Methinks that if you have to tell people that somebody is good over and over again, maybe they aren't. So notice that if you're publicly propping someone's goodness up. And also, if you are being used to gain intelligence that will be used against God's leadership, cut these people loose from your life. They were trafficking in gossip and troublemaking. And all the whole purpose of it, it says, at the very end of the chapter was to intimidate Nehemiah. Be careful who you entrust yourself to or your thoughts. The key characteristic in all of this, three times in the text, verse 13, verse 14, verse 19, the word intimidation. How can you spot this? By its methodology, intimidation, which is, by the way, spiritually defeated already. Because it doesn't describe the characteristic or nature of Jesus Christ. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, doesn't intimidate us. He says, my burden is light. My yoke or my connectedness to you is easy. It won't create grief in your life. It won't create more heaviness. It won't... It won't come with bribes and, and, and uh, control issues. 
Jesus Christ comes to us with gentleness and kindness and love. Even though he has all the power in the universe and all the authority in the universe, he doesn't exercise it or wield it in, in an intimidating way. And so, again, for Nehemiah, who knew his God, was able to spot this. This is just mischief. This is just trouble. This is just, unfortunately, people calling themselves God's people jockeying for position. When the opportunity for us to bring honor and glory and further awareness of our great God to the public is being wasted by internal mischief. What I love about this is in chapter 7, verse 1, all of this mischief and all of this stuff. It says, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed, I continued to move forward. You know why? Because God's work always goes on. That's the great takeaway here, that all of this, yes, you need to know, you need to face it, you need to understand the strategies that God has given to us, but God's work goes forward. That's the glory of this. So, key realities today, don't be scamming people with churchy-sounding stuff to accomplish fleshly agendas. And make sure you can tell the difference. And the only power plays operating in church should be from heaven alone. Father, I pray today as we wrap up this section and recognize that all scripture is God-breathed and useful to the people of God for, in this case, reproof what to avoid. I pray, Father, that we would be a, a community very conscious of the subtle attacks from within that can seek to derail the good things of God and the glory that you rightly deserve. Father, I thank you for this community of faith. I, I do thank you for the fact that, that Lord, um, we enjoy a, an unusual season of joy and harmony and unity. And Father, I just believe there's no accident, though, that you would be bringing this to us to teach us to be aware and to be careful, to be alert, to keep our radar on high alert. Because where you are doing great things, there is great opposition. And so, Father, as we continue to advance your cause, your will, your ways into this community, I pray that there would not be found among us um, a, a softness or a weakness toward the subtle attacks of, of, of churchy-sounding things that smell fishy and aren't real. I pray, Father, that, that we would not be jockeying for leadership, for position, while the world around us notices the greatness of God. I pray, Father, that we ourselves would be in awe 
would be amazed, amazed that you love us, and take that amazement in how we live to the highways and byways, that other people might see it, might see your love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close our morning together, I want to invite us to stand together and let's, uh, let's respond as a church to uh, put our armor on and move ahead in the call of Christ as we sing this hymn, O Church Arise.
as we um, think about what we need to take away from this this morning, I think it's important that we all think honestly about our spiritual operating systems. And the safety for us all is to keep ourselves firmly between two strong pillars in our lives. A full awareness and acquaintance and commitment to God's word. And a commitment to God's glory. If you run everything by that grid, is this true according to God's word? And is this moving toward God's glory? Then your spiritual operating system should be working very well. That's key. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would take us carefully into life, recognizing that the subtlety of opposition and mischief is awaiting us. Help us, Lord, to know our God, to know his ways, to know his word, to know his will. And help us, Lord God, to seek your glory alone, not our own, but your glory. That you may be able to accomplish in and through us great things that will bring an awareness to our community that truly God did this. For there's no other explanation. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. As we um, think about what we need to take away from this this morning, I think it's important that we all think honestly about our spiritual operating systems. And the safety for us all is to keep ourselves firmly between two strong pillars in our lives. A full awareness and acquaintance and commitment to God's word. And a commitment to God's glory. If you run everything by that grid, is this true according to God's word? And is this moving toward God's glory? Then your spiritual operating system should be working very well. That's key. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would take us carefully into life, recognizing that the subtlety of opposition and mischief is awaiting us. Help us, Lord, to know our God, to know his ways, to know his word, to know his will. And help us, Lord God, to seek your glory alone, not our own, but your glory. That you may be able to accomplish in and through us great things that will bring an awareness to our community that truly God did this. For there's no other explanation. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.